0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Old Testament in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Dydeck, and this week we're continuing Genesis with chapters 37 through 41 as we focus on God's promises. Not just the general promises that He gives to all of us, but when He makes a specific promise to you or to me. How do we know? What do we do? Let's find out. There are sometimes it feels like I can't win. <laughs> So we're here at another day where it's time to record the podcast, and I was feeling a little kind of under the weather, but not too bad for the past two days. And then today, I'm feeling pretty good in the morning, and then by evening, I've got a little bit of a scratchy throat, and feeling feel like some stuffiness coming on. So I've got my tea. We're going to see what we can do, because once again, it's now or never time. <laughs> I kind of need to record this today so I can have the time to edit it and have it ready for Saturday. So maybe one day <laughs> we'll get ahead. But it is not this day. That said, let's go ahead and dive in, get rolling on uh, on today's episode. Really, really good episode. I'm excited for it. Here we come finally to Joseph, one of the most famous of Bible characters, one of the ones that even people who have not been to church, who do not call themselves Christians, know about in some way, shape, or form more often than not. Let's remind ourselves, though, of, of the actual events of the story, not just that he had a coat of a lot of colors. Starting in chapter 37, verse 1, Jacob is living in the land, and he has a son named Joseph. And Joseph starts to have dreams, and he tells them to his brothers, tells them to his father, and though he was Jacob's favorite, even Jacob, at the hearing of this dream, kind of turns against him. says, oh, are you going to roll over all of us in a very scornful way? But it does specify in verse 11, though he kept the matter in mind. So here we have Joseph thinks he can trust his brothers because they're all family. He's getting these dreams from God of like, hey, this is what, you know, this is what I'm dreaming about. This is the the visions that God is giving me. And they don't like him for it. So sometimes we can see from this that we need to keep God's promises close. Although, as we'll see also this week and next week, maybe this was part of God's plan as well. But when you have a promise from God, sometimes you keep it close. Always remember not to get too proud with it. And don't be surprised if you start sharing your dreams and promises God has given to you that even those who love you the most can turn against you. But regardless of what happens, remember to trust the promise. So because of this anger towards Joseph, Jacob sends him out to find his brothers who have taken the sheep. He comes upon them. They see him coming, say, here comes this dreamer. Let's throw him in this pit. Let's kill him at first. They are dissuaded by Reuben from doing that. And I'm going to make this quick note on our way by uh, verses 25 through 28. It interposes Midianites and Ishmaelites back and forth between those three verses there. So I just wanted to call attention to that fact that they used the term Midianites to refer to kind of a collection of Arabian tribes that were descended from Abraham, just as the Ishmaelites are. So you can kind of think of the same as... I could be referred to as an American or an Ohioan, though I've been transplanted. I am a Pennsylvanian by birth, a Beaver Countyan, and a Didac by family. So I have five names right there that I could be referred to within a couple of verses. Then interestingly, after they, so they sell him to the Midianites slash Ishmaelites, take him down to Egypt. In Genesis 38, there's a little bit of an interlude where all of a sudden we're told this story of Judah and Tamar. Judah gave birth to Er and Onan. Er's wife or Er's wife was Tamar. Er dies. Onan fails to fulfill the brotherly duty and is killed for it. He was supposed to raise offspring for his brother. Decides not to do it at the last minute. Literally read the story. And God kills him because of his, his failing. So then Judah tells Tamar to just live as a widow until Judah's youngest son is old enough to marry. She waits. The youngest gets older and older and is never given to her as a husband. So Tamar deceives Judah by veiling herself and pretending to be a shrine prostitute by the side of the road. So he sleeps with his daughter-in-law, and then she becomes pregnant. It's a really whole convoluted story, but I've mostly a couple of things that I wanted to, to pull from it is this, This it's kind of, like I said, interesting that we have this sudden like break in the action of, or in the story of Joseph to focus on this thing. And it serves to remind us especially that the Old Testament is messy, as we talked about last week. Just like the modern day, when people start deceiving one another and lying and being faithless, that things just get wildly out of control. But also, I think it's it's interesting to me to approach it as a writer, that this gives us that indication of a passage of time. Because we have the story of Joseph for a full chapter, and then all of a sudden it's interrupted by the story of Judah and Tamar. And then we come back to Joseph in thirty nine. So we've taken this sort of break while Joseph is on his way to Egypt, and things are happening to him there, as we'll see. Years go by while they're sort of, you know, while this stuff is working itself out. And so I think from this too, it's a good reminder that sometimes our story can be interrupted by someone else's story that comes to the forefront at a time when we are being prepared for. The fulfillment of God's promises. So, don't be envious of other people's successes as you go through life, as you chase after the promises God has given you. It may very well be that someone close to you, or someone in you know your career field, or whatever it is, or your job place, that as you're you know working to fulfill this, suddenly they kind of come to the forefront, their story is being told, and they seem to be kind of the, the center of attention. Don't be envious of that, and don't be envious of their successes, but continue to trust the promise that God has given you. And then very quickly, Genesis 39 through 41, Joseph finds success in Potiphar's house. He's put in charge of everything until the point where he's accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. So he's thrown in prison. Everything that he had built up is taken away from him. He's successful in prison. He does so well there. He continues to be faithful and to work as though unto his God and is put in charge of the other prisoners. Success there until he interprets the dreams of the cupbearer, and the baker and the cupbearer is released according to the dream that Joseph interpreted and promptly forgets about Joseph for two years. From that point on, we're not really given an accounting of what happened in those intervening two years. Given the actions of Joseph so far and what we'll see in the future, I cannot help but believe he continued to be faithful, continued to do well during those two years, continued to be in charge of what he was in charge of and perhaps given charge of even more. We don't know that. What we do see is when he is finally released, after those two years, there's no indication of bitterness or anger or retribution. We are given his first words in verse 16, but for context, I'll start in verse 15 of chapter 41. 15 says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So no questions, no other statements, no attempt at pride in what he has accomplished so far. The very first thing he says when he's finally pulled out of prison in this foreign land brought before Pharaoh is I'm not the one who will do this, but God is the one who will. So what do we do with this? We trust the promise and we trust the one who made it to us. Now, because of people out there who claim to have promises from God that either when they're saying God promised me this, It hits our ear sideways like, I don't know if that's something God would promise or they feel like God has promised them something and we continue to not see the fulfillment of that promise because of those sorts of experiences. I feel we've ended up shying away from a personal relationship with God and settled for only the promises that scripture says to all, you know, more people, more Christians tend to have full confidence in scriptural promises from God that say, I will provide for you. I will care for you. I will heal you. Those sorts of promises, but any specific promise we struggle with. Now, we can and should compare any promise that we feel he's made with scripture to ensure that it doesn't contradict his general will. The one thing that God is incapable of doing is going against himself. His nature cannot change and he cannot go against his nature. So if he very clearly says something in scripture or makes a promise about who he is and his nature, there is no promise that he will ever then turn around and give you that goes against that. Beyond the comparing of it to scripture, however ridiculous the promise you feel you're getting may sound, believe it and pursue it and pursue God until something changes. Now, you may ask or may be wondering, how do we know, how do we hear the promises? This is something I struggled with for a very long time. Especially, you know, you hear people say, God told me this, or they speak in a manner that indicates a sort of conversation with God. And I personally have had that happen very rarely in my life. There have been several times where it was definitely, it was not just my thoughts. There was a different aspect to it, a very clear one. And it's, like I said, it's only happened a few times and it has been unquestionable each time that it happened, that what I was hearing was from God through the spirit. It was still not an audible voice like something striking my ear. And that's what can make us nervous, (laughs) is that oftentimes when people say God told me this, he's not speaking in an audible voice that everyone can hear. And so we sort of have to trust that the person is actually hearing from God or not. But more often for me, it is sort of what's been happening this past year where scripture continues to nudge my thoughts in a certain direction or when I am considering something that I feel like God is maybe calling me to or has equipped me for, and I'm like, yeah, but what about this? Or what about that? Scripture will, will come into my mind of like, well, I know you think that, but here's what the Bible says. So for me, that's that's more of what has been the promise of God for me. And beyond that is a uniformity of experience. It's kind of fascinating that this is coming up in this episode, and one of my listeners knows why. Uh, this was not planned, (laughs) just so you know. This is just sort of how things came about. So, where figuring out my calling, I have been writing forever. Um, it's something that I continue to practice. There have been years that have gone by that I have not written, like full 12 month cycles that I had not written a word. And I came back to my writing and picked it up again and learned and grew and learned the craft, found my voice. Um, in my writing and started to use it. So because of that consistency, like even though I may have fallen away from it and not practiced or not learned or not done the work, anytime I do come back to it, it's like I just pick up right where I left off. And even that has kind of been mirrored in my spiritual life where I've fallen away from faith for a time, spent some time kind of not denying I was a Christian, but certainly not like seeking God on any sort of regular basis. I was just living my life as I sort of saw fit. And when I would finally come back, we sort of picked up where we left off. I, I was not able to pick up. And this is something a very good friend of mine also taught me that, like, we want to, when we have that falling away period, if we imagine like our spiritual life is this upward trajectory, we rise to a certain point and then we fall and we spend some time in that fallen away state. And we want to, when we come back, Go back up to where we had been if the curve had continued upward. And that's not how it works, typically. More often, when you fall and you finally come back, you pick up where you left off, minus those intervening times, days, months, years, in between. Your maturity level isn't like suddenly greater. It Oftentimes, your spiritual maturity is right where you left it. And so, you know, maybe because of that, then your maturity and your spiritual life will never get as as high as it could have been if you had not fallen away which is it's bittersweet i do feel like you know we we can look at the stories that christians have of of how christ moved in their life and sort of the the exciting ones we could say are you know the the massive turnarounds they had they lived this horrible life up until they met jesus and then like overnight everything changed their you know the the paul sort of experience on the road to damascus where suddenly you know they had been heading completely away from god and in one night one experience with christ did a complete 180 and started heading directly to him with zeal and fervor. We like those sort of stories. For people who grew up in church, though, who grew up in Christian families, that's a very hard story to find. There might be periods of falling away, of not being as on fire for Christ as you were, but it's rare that it's a complete renunciation down into the depths of a horrible life and then God pulls you back up. It does happen. And so for those of us who grew up in church, sometimes it leaves us with this unsettling feeling of like, well, what is my story then? If I don't have this really kind of attention grabbing conversion story what do I have and mine I learned long ago is a story of second chances where I have fallen away and come back and fallen away and come back and fallen away and come back and no matter how far I fall how long I have fallen away when I do come back God is right there waiting we pick right back up where we left off no condemnation I confess the sins of the intervening period and he just picks me right back up and we keep going as I said, that that mirrors in my writing life. And so because of those sorts of things in my life, I feel confident of the calling of the writing aspect of writing these books and getting them published. And then on the podcast side, it was a combination of wanting very badly to speak. Every sermon, every time I, you know, maybe not every time I read the Bible or every sermon, but, but very frequently, things would come up in scripture or in sermons I was hearing and just really, really felt this need to speak. And even about writing, I I love talking about the craft of writing, especially with other writers who are trying to learn and grow and being able to share between us the parts of it we've learned. I learned from them, they learn from me. And it has also been those around me encouraging me that that teaching is something, and speaking especially, is something that they feel I'm good at and that I should do more and more. And so when we look to the promise of seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well, you have to know what the kingdom and righteousness for you looks like. As we've talked about in previous episodes, if you know the good you ought to do and don't do it, it is sin. Whatever you do that does not come from faith is sin. And so in pursuing that righteousness, that includes doing what God has called you to do. So Making sure of that work is an important thing. I don't want you to delay in that. So as we see in the story of Joseph you know, across these several chapters, that even the people who say they love us most, we may love them the most, they may love us the most, we may trust them the most, but they might doubt the promise. And we're not beholden to them. You know, Jesus, he asked his disciples, do you think I've come to bring peace? He said, no, I've come to bring a sword. I've come to divide family members against each other. And it's unfortunate how often your calling toward God. The promise he has made you is going to cause division between you and the people that you love the most here on earth. It is also why Jesus said, whoever does not hate father or mother or brother or sister, and he might not say those words, but if you don't hate these people that are supposed to be very close to you, that the world would say you should love the most, you're not worthy to be his disciple. And it's not because you actually need to hate them. But you need to love Jesus so much more that even if they say, if you do this, if you go this route, I will interpret that as you hating me. And you have to say, I am sorry that you feel that way. I do not hate you, but I love Jesus so much more. I need to pursue this. So find that calling. Find the promises that God has given to you on what it is he has for you to do in this world and do it. So I feel like that was kind of quick, but I guess it has been 20 some odd minutes. Well... Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> Hopefully this has been helpful. Again, next week we'll be looking at forgiving Josephs and our brothers. These two episodes actually kind of go hand in hand in a little bit. So I'm excited for next week's episode on forgiveness. Another oftentimes very difficult teaching, but a very, very necessary one. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to Ko-Fi, ko-fi.com. There's also a link in the show notes where you can go and make a donation. Everything we receive there will go straight back into the podcast, either funding the subscription to the server where the episodes will be stored live forever, or in upgrading equipment. One of the things we want to do eventually is move into an actual soundproof studio, so you'll be able to help by donating through that Ko-Fi page. If you want to support me more generally, you can buy my books. Links are available on my website, danieldidek.com, And as always, non-financial ways to support are to spread the word about this podcast to your friends and followers. If you've read my books, you can leave reviews. And of course, subscribing to the podcast and listening to each episode sure encourages me. And thank you. Until then, keep the faith and keep it old school.